0: Welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic podcast for you here at Praetor's Podcast. As always, my name is Nick, and I'm so glad to have you guys with me today, because we are going to talk about the first Pro Tour of the Guilds of Ravnica standard format, conveniently titled Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica, because, you know, sometimes Wizards uh, names things in ways that make sense. (laughs) But anyway... Um, It was a very interesting, very crazy kind of Pro Tour that happened. Um, I don't think anyone, except maybe the teams that were testing in this case, uh, saw this sort of outcome. And what I mean by that is, going into the Pro Tour, there was a few things that people expected to happen, and almost none of those things happened. I think the main thing that people were thinking is, how many Golgari decks are we going to see in the top eight or what's the build that's going to win it or what's it going to do and while Golgari did not do bad uh looking at the list right now there is four Golgari decks that all had eight wins uh so that's very very good and i don't think there's there's some similarities in the builds but they're definitely not all the same 75. um now, to preface, some of these results, I wouldn't take 100% to heart. And the reason why is the Pro Tour is a split format. So they do standard and they also do draft. So some of these players, while their standard decks are good, um, part of their record is reflected on the fact that they got into day two or did well in day two uh, due to their drafting ability as well. And it's not really worth talking about their draft decks or anything, since there's no super good way to look them up. Um, I'm not a huge drafter, uh, unless it's a cube draft. And, you know, it's one of those things that is more fluctuating, I think, than uh, standard decks for a majority of the time, and then gets figured out really fast if you're a solid hardcore drafter. So what we will focus on is the standard decks and the craziness of the standard deck is the uh four uh the top four decks were all red white boros mono white some variation however you want to phrase it aggro decks and it seems that there are two main camps in how to build boros aggro for guilds of ravnica there is my main deck has both red and white cards in it, and I play red and white lands consistently. Or, there is, my main deck is basically complete mono white, and I have red cards in the sideboard depending on the matchup. Uh, so to give you a little bit of an insight, we will look at the winner of Protour Guilds of Ravnica, his deck, Andrew Ellenbogen playing red-white aggro. Now if you look at his main deck, he has zero red cards, and he has six lands that can create red mana. So you're probably thinking, how is this Boros or red-white aggro, however you want to call it? Well, it's because in his sideboard, he has two more red-producing lands and a few key red cards. Banefire, Experimental Frenzy, and the Split Card Response Resurgence. Now, the reason that Andrew wants as many white sources in his main deck as possible is for his triple white three drop Benelish Marshall, which gives all other creatures plus one plus one. So, this is definitely a mono white aggro deck. In Andrew's list, he is running uh, 14 one drops. He has four dauntless bodyguards, two healers hawks. four Sky Marcher Aspirant, and four Snubhorn Sentries. Uh, he is the only card in his main deck that costs more than three mana is Venerated Loxodon and Conclave Tribunals, and both of those cards have Convoke, so very rarely are you tapping all lands for those cards. So the deck is very fast, it's very low to the ground, and is a very low curve. Um, he does play 20 lands because he does need to consistently hit his third land drop on turn three, uh get enough, be able to cast enough creatures to flip his Legion's landing to also help him get lands. Um, and he has some threes and fours in the sideboard. So. But can on the flip side, if we look at the second place deck, piloted by Louis Scott Vargas, um his deck is a little bit different, and he's running the Team Channel Fireball special in their deck. Now, similar to Andrew's list, Luis's main deck is completely uh, all white. He does run eight red-producing lands versus the six that Andrew had, but Team Channel Fireball had an interesting innovation that it seemed like no one else was coming with. When they tested, they decided that they wanted to run this red-white deck, this mono-white deck, however you want to figure it. But they also wanted to be very good in the mirror because I think the teams figured out that a lot of people were going to be on this Boros Aggro. So in their deck, they are running a life gain package with Healer's Hawk and a Johnny's Mate. Now, Johnny's Pride Mate is a 2-drop 2-2. This is whenever you gain life, you put a plus one plus one counter on a Johnny's Mate. Uh so far in the format, the best card against. This Boros aggro, mono white aggro deck is Deafening Clarion, which is played mainly in the Jeskai control decks. And it's one, a red, and a white, and it deals three damage to all creatures. So, what you try to do with this mono white deck that Channel Fireball has with their life game package is the dream scenario is play Healer's Hawk on one, play a Johnny's Primate on two. Um, or you can also play Legion's Landing on 1, since the token it makes has lifelink. Play a Johnny's Pridemate on 2, attack. Your Johnny's Pridemate is now a 3-3 on your turn 2. On your turn 3, you try and attack again with another lifelink creature, and hopefully your Johnny's Pridemate is now out of Deafening Clarion range. And you gain a huge advantage by now having a 4-drop, or a 2-drop that has 4-toughness. Because the next Wrath in the format doesn't hit till 5 mana. So the 3-drop Wrath now is not as good because it doesn't wipe the board. And your next one is coming on 5. So, Or if you are playing a white deck and you get them to attack with enough creatures that you can settle the wreckage them, Also an option. And speaking of settle the wreckage, um, I'm glad that it turned out the way that it did. Uh, with the top two being Andrew and Luis, because if you missed their matches, they were A, blistering fast, and B, had some very insane moments. Um, But Luis had a special insane moment in the matchup. Um, Jokingly with his team, they wanted to throw off all the other teams in the tournament when those teams would be scouting deck lists and figuring out what the other teams are playing, they wanted people to think that all the Team Channel Fireball members were running Settler Wreckage in their sideboard. Now, if you're not familiar with that card, it is two and two white, and you target an opponent, and you exile all their attacking creatures, and then that opponent searches for a basic land for each exiled creature and puts it on the battlefield tapped. So it's really good when your opponent tries to alpha strike you with all their creatures and you just basically wipe their board. Uh, the plus side is, is it's four mana instant speed, but they get all the lands., um, so kind of a fair trade off there. But they put one in their sideboard so that way,, uh, they would like kind of trick other people into being like all of Team Channel Fireball has. Settle the wreckage. So, anytime as Channel Fireball member was holding up the right mana, you have to think they might have settle. It was only Luis, and he had one in his cyborg. So, there is a moment when he is playing where he has four mana up, and Luis, being a master of the game, disguises the settle the wreckage in the most beautiful way possible. His opponent is attacking him, and what Luis does is he organizes his lands so that way he has his three mana. He has three of his mana grouped together and he has his Flipped Legion's Landing, which is a land that can tap for white mana, off to the side. Um, But the reason he had it split like that is a potential plan that he had was to just tap the three mana, tap the Flipped Legion's Landing, and just make a 1-1 Lifelink Vampire token, which is a very expected play on your opponent's end step, especially if you don't know that that person has settled the wreckage. Now, Luis's opponent starts doing some combat math. If I swing with this, if I swing with that, and, uh, Luis being a nice guy, and I want to stress that I saw a few things of people calling Luis out and saying he cheated and he, you know, angle shot his opponent and all this stuff, and I see where those people are coming from, but they're just wrong, um... And I'm not afraid to say, like, I'm a big fan of Louis Scott Vargas, and people were saying that the only reason he's not getting called out is that he's a famous, like, player and famous streamer, and a lot of people like him. And we've seen in the era of post-Hall of Fame voting and some of the things that have gone on right now that that's just not true. Your popularity will help you to a point. But if you do something, it doesn't matter how popular you are. Like, people will call you out if you deserve it. Um, so I don't think I even need to bring up examples. If you, It's pretty obvious uh, that that is not the case here. Especially since Luis, what he does in the following of his opponent doing combat math is something his opponent asked him to do. Luis grabs a token and hands it to his opponent, Yes, it's a vampire token, but if you're already going to grab your opponent a token, it may be the one that you may make on end step. Now, they interviewed Luis after this matchup, and he even laid it out very clearly. He said, if my opponent doesn't attack with enough creatures here, or doesn't attack at all, I just move to his end step and I make a token, which I'm perfectly fine with. If he does attack with enough people, then I settle the wreckage him, and I just have to hope that he doesn't play around it. Now, almost no one's going to play around this. It's a one-of in the sideboard. At this point, both the players have deckless, So Luis's opponent is aware of this, but it's very hard to play around a one-of card on one of the biggest stages in a very critical matchup. You basically just have to play as if, make my opponent have it. I'm going to play as if they don't have it, and if they do, suffer the consequences. And in this case, it turned out Luis had the side of the wreckage. His opponent attacked and he settles the wreckage, him. and it was a big swing for Luis and a big blowout to his opponent, but it's far from cheating, and what I mean by this is there was a certain MTG personality who pointed out that another person was once uh, caught on camera in a match cheating, apparently, against his opponent by faking that he understood that his opponent was resolving a rest in peace trigger uh so to explain this the best way possible rest in peace is a two mana a one and a white enchantment that actually has a trigger when it enters the battlefield when it enters the battlefield it exiles both players graveyard now playing exactly by the letter dot your i's and cross your t's you kind of have to, un- like, announce that this trigger is happening, or else the graveyards don't get exiled. Now, in this case, the, ma- the match that was going on where this happened, this was huge for the person who benefited from still having their graveyard. They were playing a graveyard-centric deck. I don't remember exactly which one, but it was definitely... They didn't want this rest in peace to ever hit the battlefield. Now, the person motions to their graveyard as if they are going to exile it, and I have played with Rest in Peace and against Rest in Peace a lot of times. Uh, I've played many matchups where it's crucial that I have it and where my opponents have it, and I have never, ever had anyone point out to me that, you know, Rest in Peace exiles the graveyard, because we both get it, like... You play rest in peace, our graveyards are exiled. It, to me, it's just one of those things that both players understand happens. And while that may be wrong and the incorrect way to play, and some people may take advantage of that, this the way that this person did it was completely uncalled for. They motioned to their graveyard, they picked it up, they put it back down, and then they still utilized their graveyard and then tried to explain to a judge how it was fair what they did. That's the scenario that some people are comparing this to, which is completely, like, 100% ridiculous. Luis gave his opponent a token, counted it out, and had a plan to do both of these things depending on what happened on the turn, which is completely different than your opponent plays a potent hate card against your deck and you, uh, you use some obscure version of the rules to try and bait your opponent into only exiling their graveyard and you getting to keep yours around. But, you know, enough about that. I just wanted to point out, Luis did a good to great play depending on how much you think he actually baited his opponent and is far from cheating in that case. And some people need to realize that being popular may protect you a little bit from the adverse side of a community, but it only protects you up to a certain point. And if you do something hopefully deserving of hate being brought your way or accusations being brought your way fairly, mind you, then it doesn't. It shouldn't matter how popular you are. If Luis actually cheated, which he didn't, I would hope that the community would put aside the fact that they like him so much, and I would hope that I could put a fact, put aside the fact that I like him as a player and as a content producer enough to call him out and be, you know, say to him, "You cheated. You deserved whatever punishment you may get, regardless of if you're popular or not." And I believe that they would, even for Luis, or anyone else on his popularity level, for that matter. It's not related just to him. The only reason he's being brought up right now, even ever so slightly, is that it was a interesting scenario that just happened over the weekend. So, enough about that. Back to the decks. So, there's, you know, a huge mix of red-white, Boros, aggro decks, mono-white, aggro, however you look at it, or however you determine the deck should be called, in the top eight. And then we have one Jeskai control and some is it drakes decks floating around, which are the uh, is it you know, play a bunch of spells, discard my phoenix card, and you know, go off that way. Um, do I think that red white is the best deck in the format? No, I think that the red white players for the pro tour had a plan in mind, they executed that plan in mind, and like I said, it's a split format at the pro tour, so these players probably did pretty well to very well in the draft on top of that. I think the good thing about this Boros aggro deck and stuff, um, is it's very cheap or relatively cheap compared to a lot of different decks and it's good. So if it's you know, if you're looking to build a second standard deck or build a highly competitive first standard deck, I think it's a really good uh deck to pick up. It's also not as easy to play as it looks, I realized. Most people kind of like you know shit on aggro decks a little bit and they say ah it's so easy to play it's aggro you just turn your thing sideways and there's a lot of moments here where if people played with that mentality they would lose these games so hard um aggro mirrors are not easy to play when both players decks are kind of doing what they want to do aggro mirrors and aggro decks are really easy to play when your opponent hits a stumbling block If you're playing an aggro mirror and you are curving out and playing all your threats and your opponent floods, yes, it's going to be one of the easiest matchups you're ever going to play. Um, But that can also be said for a lot of matchups. But an aggro deck versus an aggro deck where both the aggro decks are operating, basically how they want to operate, you're you're kind of on a razor's thin edge the entire way. Um, Since you don't have counterspells, you don't have a lot of removal, combat math is ever present. It, it does get hard, and these decks, depending on how they're built, can deal a lot of damage really quickly, and they can also gain a fair bit of life very quickly, especially if you're running the Channel Fireball mini life game package. You can get some pretty big pride Mates. I think they were asking some of the players, and there was a uh, argument to see who had the highest Ajani's Pride Mate, and I think someone said that they got theirs to a 20-20, so it, you know... For white weenie slash white red weenie techs, these creatures can get pretty beefy pretty quick if you're not careful, and they will run you over. Um, the tech is no joke. Um, so it, it does have its, you know, aggro deck problems. When it runs out of gas, it may just run out of gas really hard and stumble, but it only does that a little bit more than some other decks. Uh, that's just, you know, the way magic goes. Speaking of which... The way Magic goes, it, it, it was unfortunate, the ending to the Pro Tour. And what I mean by this is uh, in one of the final games, we had Luis take many mulligans. Uh, so much so where people are reconsidering should there be a new mulligan rule um, for major tournaments like this or just in general. And I'll give you my quick thoughts. Absolutely not. Look, I've lost a lot of games of Magic. Probably more games of magic than I've won. I've mulliganed bad, I've kept hands that I shouldn't have, and sometimes it feels like your deck hates you. That's the game. Get over it. If you don't want to mulligan, you probably shouldn't play the game, or you should play a casual format where everybody can have nice seven card hands that curve out and you can find something else to get mad about. That happened in the game. It sucks what happened to him. No one, including his opponent, wanted to see that happen. And I don't usually like winning games when my opponent mulligans to oblivion. When I see my opponent open with a four-card hand or a five-card hand, it does make me feel bad. Unless they're being a jerk to me, then I kind of think that they deserve it. But between the two players of the Pro Tour, that was definitely not the case. I'm sure as happy as Andrew was to win, he would have loved to win that game with him and Luis opening on seven-card grips and going at it with everything their deck has. Because a win like that... I'm sure, as sweet as it was, can only get better when you get to say that you outplayed Louis Scott Vargas, or played better than him. And in a perfect world, I'm sure most people like to win their matches with no Flood, and no Mana Screw, and just their deck, or them, being better than their opponent. But you also kind of have to take the wins when you get them, you know? No one's ever going to complain that they won the game due to a lucky top deck, but... There's no rule that says when both players are out of cards, you know, someone plays with the top of their deck revealed or something weird like that. So there shouldn't be a changing to the mulligan rule that unfortunately, you know, affects situations like this. There shouldn't be a rule that says if you're playing the pro tour, you don't get to mulligan to five. The minimum you go to is a six card hand or something weird like this, because a lot of times, the more scries you get, the closer it gets to drawing a card, the closer it gets to deck stacking. It's just, I mean, it sucked. No one wanted to see him lose that way, and no one wanted to see it basically be decided by, you know, Luis not doing anything. But that's also how the game goes. You know, Mulligans are there to try and alleviate some of the randomness of the game, but, you know, Sometimes you just get punished, and you gotta get over that. But other than that, not a ton of news after the Pro Tour. There is GP Milwaukee coming up this weekend, so good luck to any listeners who may be going to that. Uh, Like always, uh, sadly, like always, I do want to apologize that this is going to be coming out on Friday instead of your regularly scheduled time slot on Thursday. And it, you know, it was a pretty slow week. The lead up to the Pro Tour was kind of sporadic with a lot of people complaining that they didn't really know that it was happening. And then when it happened, it came and went. And there hasn't been much news since. The only major news is that there's been some much asked for changes to MTG Arena. If you are not familiar with that, it's one of the online clients to play Magic the Gathering. So for a long, long time, there was only Magic the Gathering online. um, Basically, unless you had a way to run Windows on your computer, you could only play it on a Windows computer. And it's kind of old and a little outdated, and a lot of people don't like the interface and say that it's very buggy and things like that. So Wizards rolled out their... Uh, digital platform that's supposed to compete with Hearthstone. And when they did this a while back, everyone lost their minds. No one knew what was going on. Is, are they just going to dump Magic the Gathering Online into the garbage? And everybody was going crazy, and things finally settled down. And the major news now that has come out from Wizards is that they have plans to keep both Magic the Gathering Online and Magic the Gathering Arena going simultaneously for their own you know, purposes. They're their own entities. The two major changes they just made to Magic the Gathering Arena, or MTGA, if you want to shorten it all up, is that you now get to pick play or draw when you win the die roll, and you can direct challenge people. So no more both clicking the play button at the same time and hoping you get matched up against each other. You can just find your friend, click on them, and go off to town. And these were two big changes that a lot of people really, really wanted. Conversely, little bit of a setback (laughs) news or sad news if you don't play on Windows. um, They kind of announced that it's going to take longer, or they might not do it at all, to put it on any other format. So phones, iOS, Linux, anything like that. And they're basically asking the community to see what platforms they want it on. And it seems like they're asking the community to see which ones they cannot worry about putting it on, which you would think sounds like a good idea, but if not enough people know that that's their plan and are still hoping that one day it will be available on Max, and then they find out that not enough people asked for that and they never get it, it could go really bad. And there was a really good tweet pointed out by Cube April on Twitter, um, someone that I suggest you guys follow because she's pretty funny and she does magic polls all the time and they're quite humorous, or just polls in general, and they're quite humorous. Um, she tweeted at Magic the Gathering Arena and pointed out a very obvious thing, or at least something that would seem obvious. If you want to compete with the likes of Hearthstone and these other online uh, trading, you know, CCG collectible card games that have a lot of players and make a lot of money, it's absurd to think that you can come out with your version of that for only you know theoretically half of the computer you know owners markets or not supported on mobile or say you need a specific type of operating system or a specific laptop to play our game. You can't play it on your phone. You can't play it on the other system. You know, tough luck. That just alienates a lot of the market, and it's not like they can't figure out a way to do it. Because everyone else has figured out a way to do it. I can't think of another one of these CCG games, or at least the ones that I've played, that aren't playable in the exact same functions on both sides of the coin. And apparently Wizards is the only company that doesn't want to flip that coin over for reasons that at this point are just beyond me and I think beyond everybody else. No one understands why, and it just does not make a lot of sense. So hopefully, you know, they decide to change that. And I think after two pretty beefy weeks here, uh, this one's going to be short, sweet, and to the point, like I said, there's not a lot of magic news. Um, I do know that spoilers for the rest of Unlimited Masters are scheduled to start, I believe, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, I know I mentioned it in my last podcast, so you should go check that one out. Shameless plugs right here. Um, so those are something to look forward to. GP Milwaukee this weekend, something to look forward to. Watch some good magic, you know, see what happens the week after the Pro Tour. See if there's any wild changes and things like that. Um, but other than that, I think I'm going to let you guys go. Um, and I will talk to you guys next week. As always, if you want to find me, come check me out at Praetor's Podcast. We are on SoundCloud and Anchor. Tweet at Praetor's P on Twitter if you want to connect with the podcast or tweet at me at knickknacks96 if you want to chat directly. We'd love to hear from you guys as always. And once again, thanks for stopping by.